Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. So the Word of God, let's read it together. Now you don't need to speak it aloud, but follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. When Jesus came down from the mountain, that's where he preached the Sermon on the Mount, large crowds followed him, and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be, clean, be cleansed. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes, and to my slave do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. So as to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him that foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with waves. But Jesus himself was asleep, and they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. But he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to speak to us through your word this morning. I pray that you will give me your word and that you will give me the words to speak to those who are here and that together we may be changed and, and strengthened by the words of Jesus and his actions. We pray it in his name. Amen. This is a long passage and I don't usually take as many verses at once. do so because I think these constitute a powerful series of things that Focus our, our attention if we pay attention to them, if we think about them in a certain way, on a very powerful uh, single topic. The series of stories 
which are about, generally about great deeds done by Christ, his controlling the universe by the winds and the waves, his controlling our bodies by healing diseases, his controlling, uh, and there are several stories in here, several incidents that are separate from miracles, people coming to him, but all together they're about faith. They're about the pursuit of God that we know as faith. And the obvious, the obvious text here, the obvious thing that jumps out at you is earthly needs, but more deep than that obvious text is a subtext of spiritual reality, um, salvation and eternal life. There are people here who are being saved and there are those who are not. And there are people who are, who are being acknowledged by God and those who are being condemned in this passage. There's positive and negative examples. And I, I, I think this is an important thing for our day. Because I think we live in a day that's <laughs> honestly increasingly a day for many of us of, of fear, anxiety. A day in which we're saying that, you know, the foundations are being shaken. What's coming next? Where are we going to find ourselves? I can't pretend to tell you where we're going to find ourselves. I don't know. Um, I don't know for our nation where we'll end up. I do, I do call on you to pray for our nation, as Scripture says, to pray for our leaders. But whether this ends well or poorly, what I do know is that those who have true faith in God end up happy. <laughs> I'm, I'm 61 this year, five years younger than my father when he died. And so I have a little time under my belt um, of my own in thinking about God and what it means to follow him, what it means to have faith in him. Uh, but it wasn't a, it's not a pursuit that began with me. I actually have thought often as a, a child and even before I was a Christian, even before I came to repentance, thought about what faith is and what God is because I'd see in my parents uh, a love and a, for God, a love for others, a happiness that I would, well, I, I recognized it and I was happy for it, yet at the same time I, I would find myself saying, wow, is this real? Some of you know that my father and mother lost three of my brothers while I was growing up and yet they died happy. You know, they didn't die mourning the loss of their children. I remember asking my dad, and I've told you this often, Dad, if you had it to do over, would you have Joe back or Danny or Johnny? And him saying to me a few years before he died, no, God's way is perfect. I mean, he wasn't being mealy-mouthed in saying that. He was just quiet and said, God's way is good. And so I've, I've come to realize that God's way is good. I first sensed it through my father, I'm, I'm now personally acquainted with the goodness of God, and I want to speak to you about this God and what you can expect to him in difficult times, how you should approach him, the, the lessons of scripture about the goodness of God, lessons of scripture about how you must come to him in order to enjoy that goodness. We're going for the big picture here in this series of passages, um, because the big picture is about how we gain standing with God how we come to him and find his power, whatever our need. There are five pictures here of faith. And if you grasp these pictures, you're going to understand something about God. Five situations. The first is a leper who comes to Jesus and asks to be cleansed. The second is the story of a centurion who has a servant who is dying. 
Let me just say in the context of our day, it's very interesting that Jesus did not say to the centurion who gave this long sort of soliloquy, this speech to Jesus about, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come in my my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. Say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come. And he comes, and my slave do this, and he does it. Jesus doesn't say, well, you slaveholder, you wicked man, I have nothing to do with you. <laughs> the word of God is just much deeper than the thoughts of man. This is a righteous man. This is a man that God loves. And we need to recognize that the, the petty vanities of our day rise and fall and rise and fall. But the word of God and the character of God is eternal. We are all sinners. We all live within structures that have their share of evil. We have not come to a day that is perfect. Our wickedness is as deep as any other age. And God comes to wicked people to forgive them, to call them to eternal life. He sends his son for their forgiveness. And so we have a centurion who's a slave owner. And he, he loves one of his slaves. And the slave is near death. In another of the gospels, he, he speaks of him as his child. But actually, the centurion doesn't go to Jesus. Now, it seems in Matthew's telling of it that he goes, but he's actually using what we call interlocutors. That means someone who speaks for you. We're told by, I think it's Luke, that he sent elders of the people, Jewish elders, to Jesus, and he didn't go himself. And so this, this conversation that we read of here is actually with the, the interlocutors, the elders coming to Jesus and speaking on behalf of the centurion, and Jesus responding to them, them carrying it back, and then returning to Jesus. And so it's, a, it's an involved thing. This man does it this way because he is... He's, he is a Gentile. He's a centurion. And he knows that Jews don't like to go into houses. will be rendered as they see it ritually unclean by going into the house of someone who is not Jewish. And so he sends these leaders to speak on his behalf. Jesus says, I will come. Tell him, I will come and heal. But the centurion sends word again. And he says, Lord, I'm not worthy. He's saying, don't come. So this man, probably the the leader of a garrison in the town of Capernaum where Jesus did much of his initial ministry where he was located in his initial days of ministry. Luke tells us that the elders come and say to Jesus that this man built a synagogue for our people. He loves our people. And so he's, he's, he's a commanding officer. He's, he has a force that is an occupying force garrisoned in the town. And he's a slave owner, and he comes to Jesus in this way. This is this man. Third story of Peter's mother-in-law troubled by a fever, and Jesus just up and heals her. Fourth story comprises two individuals who say they want to follow, but have reservations. The first one, a scribe, doesn't state his, but Jesus obviously understands it when he responds, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He's a man who's afraid of what we call privation. He doesn't like to be deprived. He doesn't like privation, being deprived of his pleasures and the good things of life. And so Jesus says, well, are you aware if you follow me that you're going to have to go through deprivation? You're not going to have everything you want because I don't. This man loves material things. He fears poverty. So Jesus warns him. 
Second of these two individuals is one who also wishes to follow, but his reservation has to do with care of his father, wanting to remain. He says, let me bury my father. That doesn't literally mean that his father is dead and needs to be buried. It means that he needs to be with him until the time of his death. He needs to take care of his elderly father. In, in all likelihood, the man is quite old and quite near death. And he says, let me bury my father and then I'll follow you. That is, the, those two comprise the fourth story. And the fifth is of the disciples in the boat who are with him in the storm, with him asleep. And they're waking him in fear and, and asking him to save them. Now together... In these five incidents, these, these stories, we have a powerful picture of faith, of how we approach God, of how we live with God. We find it illustrated positively in the lives of some of these and, and negatively the opposite by the failure and admonishment by Christ of others. The first person we come across is the leper, a garden variety encounter with Christ, totally normal. And yet, there is something interesting, two things interesting that I call your attention to. The first is what the, what the, what the leper asks Jesus. He says, Lord, if you're willing, <clears throat> you can make me clean. Most people, when they come to Jesus, say, heal me. He says, make me clean. Why is he asking to be rendered clean? Why doesn't he say, heal my leprosy? Well, the issue is that leprosy made a person in Israel ritually unclean. He couldn't go to the temple, couldn't be with people. His ritual uncleanness would make others temporarily unclean, and as long as he had that uncleanness, he wasn't allowed to be with God. Now, that's not spiritually, that's physically, and yet it was a great deprivation not to be able to go to worship, not to be able to sacrifice, not to do these things. So he says, Lord, make me clean. But actually, he's asking him, he's, he's using synecdoche, he's using a part for the whole. He's not asking just to be clean, he's asking, in essence, to be, to be rendered fit to, to have the cause of his uncleanness taken away. So it is an appeal to have the leprosy removed, but he frames it by saying, make me clean. And, and that's the first interesting thing. And the second interesting thing is the way he, he phrases it. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing. <laughs> and the, the striking thing is that he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus looks at him and says, I am willing. Be clean. And he's cleaned. Now, I, I, Jesus also says a few other things. He says, now, don't tell people about me. And he also says, and go and make the sacrifice that's required of those who are cleansed of, of leprosy. There was a, a, a ritual spelled out in the law of Moses for those who were healed to go and be proclaimed clean by the priest. And it involved a sacrifice, some washings, and things of that nature. So he says, go and fulfill the law. Go and do it. What we're told in another of the Gospels is that this leper goes and immediately disobeys Jesus by spreading abroad what Jesus has done for him. He goes through all the area, it says, and tells everyone what Jesus had done for him so that Jesus could no longer go out openly, but he was just mobbed by people. And you might say, well, that's, you know, that's understandable. That's what is interesting is that Luke does not say that he went and made the sacrifices. What it says is he immediately went and told everyone all around the area. He does the thing that he was told not to do. There's no indication that he does the thing that he was called to do. A few words on that at the end. But, but first, notice that Jesus, knowing this man, knowing what he'll do, knowing everything about him, Jesus is no fool. He knows the people who come to him. 
that Jesus says to him, I am willing. Now, I want to I stop and think about that for a moment. I am willing, Jesus says. I am willing. This man comes to him. He's going to prove, in a sense, ungrateful, at least disobedient. We know that God says to obey is better than to sacrifice. He wants obedience. This man, this disobedient man, Jesus knows of his disobedience even before he heals him. Jesus says to him, I am willing. I am willing to make you clean. I am willing to make you clean. And I encourage you to think through the lives of Jesus, the, the life of Jesus and the lives that come to Jesus, and think about all the people who asked him for things, and find a time that Jesus said, I'm not willing. Well, you might come up with his mother and the wedding of Cana in Galilee and the wine, and his mother is saying, lady, don't you know that the time has not come? But what the lady does, his mother does, is say, oh, go to the servants, bring the bottles, bring the jars of, of water, he, he'll deal with it. And he does it. You might think about the Syrophoenician woman. That woman who came to him from a Gentile background with a daughter who was tormented by a demon. And Jesus says, <laughs> it's not right to give the, the food from the children's table to the dogs. The woman says, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs. And Jesus says, Woman, your faith is great. Go, your daughter's healed. He does it. There were a few occasions when Jesus was asked to work a miracle to prove himself to the scribes and Pharisees. And on those occasions, when it was a request demanded of him, really a demand that he prove himself, he said, no. You'll only get a sign, the sign of Noah. You'll see me rise from the dead. But he wouldn't do it. But otherwise... There is not an occasion in the life of Jesus when someone who comes to him, many of them were not followers of his, many of them were disobedient people, not one of them was told no. Do you understand that? But I encourage you to think through the whole Bible now and the character of God in light of what I've just said about Jesus, and you'll see that the same is true throughout the Bible about God. Wicked men, wicked kings, kings as wicked as Manasseh, who caused blood to flow in the streets of Jerusalem. And on the basis of whose rule, God said, it's done. I am sending my people into exile. At the end of his life, he repents and turns to God. And God says, look, he's repented. Ahab. And God relents and doesn't bring the judgment during their lifetime. Uh, a famous, famous story in the Old Testament is about Naaman and Elijah. Naaman, who is the Assyrian king's chief general. And he hears from a servant girl who was captured from Israel that there's a prophet in Israel who can heal leprosy. He has leprosy. So he goes to Israel, goes to the king, says, I want to be healed. And the king goes, what? And then the king sends him, his, is told that he should send him to Elijah. He sends him to Elijah. And Elijah says, go wash in the, in the Jordan River. I mean, that man was healed. Do you know of a person who goes to God and God says no? God says, I am willing. God in the person of Christ says, I am willing. I challenge you to think of a single time in Scripture when God says, I'm unwilling. God is willing. I can't stress this strongly enough. God is willing. Why do you not have the things you think you need? Why do you not have what you want? Why do you think God has failed you? Is the problem in the unwillingness of God? 
God says, I'm willing. And he always says, I'm willing, I'm willing. He is a willing father. All right. Now, this man goes. And Jesus said, make sure you get the clean, the, the cleansing, which, which is not simply having the leprosy removed, but which is having the stigma, the official stigma of being a leper removed by going to the temple. And I, you know, Jesus is not just willing to help your body. Jesus is willing to make you clean. This man actually doesn't, I'm reading into it. It's not stated, but I think there's enough to, in all the Gospels to read into it that he didn't actually go and do that or he didn't hurry on that. He really doesn't want to be clean. You understand? And yet God is still willing. And this man goes and disobeys him. And this man really doesn't want the cleansing, but Jesus is ready to help. And to cleanse. I think it's so important to remember that the word used is cleanse me. Jesus is willing to cleanse you of your sin. And that's a greater need even than the physical leprosy that this man lives under. Jesus is willing. Second, turning to, um, from the leper to the centurion, this is a positive story. This story of the, uh, of the centurion coming to Jesus about the servant he loves. Jesus, remember, says at the end of the encounter, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now there are two things that um, I want you to remember from this. First, there are echoes of the lesson we learned from the leper. And that is that going to Jesus for a miracle, going to Jesus for a miracle and loving Jesus and doing as he says is faith in God. God is willing to bless those who don't obey him and who wonder if he's willing. Are you willing? This man assumes that Jesus is willing. Jesus is willing. He heals that servant. Then Jesus says that striking thing that I just read to you. Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith. With anyone in Israel, I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Sons of the kingdom, however, will be cast out. What Jesus is saying is that when the day of judgment arrives, there will be many Gentiles, many people from nations that did not worship God who will one day be included. And this man is such a man. It's obvious. Jesus is saying he's going to be there. One day this man is going to be counted equal and worthy to sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We would say, whoa, that's precipitous, Jesus. How can you say this about this centurion, you know? I mean, the reality is Jesus, without inhibition and without qualification, says that man is going to be seated with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We go, wow, that's 
quite a judgment on, on the evidence that is adduced here, that we find here. He's, Jesus says, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. It's not that he says, I have not found greater faith with anyone in Israel. He says, I haven't found such great faith. In other words, it's not a bunch of people that have great faith and no one has greater. But he's saying, I haven't found such, this man has greater faith than anyone I've met in all Israel. Why? What is faith? What do we learn about faith from this man? It's faith. It's saving faith. It causes him to take his place among Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What do we learn about it? Well, the centurion understands one simple thing. That Jesus has the power of God and that the power of God is available to those who ask. Do you understand? He understands Jesus is, if not God, he may not understand that Jesus is the Messiah even. But he understands that the power of God is at work in Jesus and that power is available to others and he goes to Jesus and says look I don't need you to come I know the power you're working by I know the power that you're wielding I've seen it in my life I know how you're using it just do it please and that is faith looking to God as a gracious God who will help you is faith now you'd say okay well in in consequence of that kind of faith, maybe he gets his servant healed. But that's all that faith can do. You've got to have a whole bunch of other things in your brain. You've got to have a whole bunch of other understandings about Jesus. You've got to see the resurrection, the crucifixion. You've got to have all these things in your, in your head in order to get to heaven. That may be sufficient faith to get a servant healed. Something much deeper and greater is needed to get to heaven. And what Jesus says here is that man is going to be in heaven on the basis of what I've seen. That is faith. Faith looks to God and expects good from God. That's the bottom line. Faith looks to God and expects good from God. And it goes to God in faith. It doesn't sit at home and ponder. Faith doesn't sit around and say, oh, I wish. It's out banging on doors. It trusts that God is good. It brings its request before the judge incessantly. It bangs on its neighbor's door until the door is answered. It acts in a particular way on the belief that God will respond and positively. That God will do and that his response will be favorable. So often we think that faith is a mentally visualizing what we want and convincing ourselves in our minds that the thing that we want is there. We see it. We see it. I see my girlfriend coming back to me. I see it. I have faith. I see my children growing up and being successful. I have, I see it. I can visualize it. That has nothing to do with the faith of the Bible. We think that faith is a mental visualization of the desired end. Seeing in our mind, for instance, as Jesus says, the, the mountain moved into the heart of the sea. And we look and we say, I believe the mountain can be in the heart. I believe the mountain. I believe the mountain. That's not faith. That's not faith. Faith looks at God and sees God and says, whatever. 
The mountain can be in the heart of the sea because God, not because I have this thought, I know God. I trust God. So we're facing an important truth here about faith. That is that faith is not foiled, is not made impotent, is not, is not disappointed when God doesn't do precisely the thing that's asked for. person who is asking God for something in faith is not believing that they are going to receive exactly what they ask for, but that God is good. The basis of their faith is their understanding that God loves them, that God cares for them, and that this God, when they ask him for something, will give them that something or something even better. Something even better. This is why Jesus says, if you ask for something and God's not going to give you a scorpion in response, he never gives bad things. If you don't get exactly what you want, it's because God has seen what you want and says it's deficient and I'm going to do better for you. I have prayed in, over the last year and asked God, kind of jokingly, but semi-seriously because of the money that I've spent on Dennis. I love you, Dennis, if you're, but I don't like spending money on you. So I've said, God, you know, I really want to die with the teeth that I have right now. You know, I, I don't want to have to spend another penny on Dennis. <laughs> Occasionally I say, okay, God, but that doesn't mean I want to die tomorrow. You know? <laughs> It would be real easy for me to die with my teeth intact if I died today, right? But actually, I don't have to do that to God. I don't have to say, God, now let me, let me work my way around this and make it clear what I'm asking you. No, I want my teeth, but I, I don't want to die in a day or a year. I want my teeth and I want, I want them to, I don't have to do it. God is not going to, he's either going to give me my teeth until I die or he's going to give me something better. That's how God is. That's what this centurion understands. God is good. The third story here is of Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus heals her. She has a fever and she gets up and waits on them. Now, the interesting part of this story is that after healing the mother-in-law and after all the others have come for, he for healing and and received it, Matthew writes that this was, in other words, the mother-in-law's healing and the subsequent acts of healing with the whole city coming to the house to be healed as well. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Now you think about that verse from Isaiah, quoted by Matthew. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. You think, well, that's a verse that speaks about Jesus dying on the cross for our sin. Those diseases are sin. It's our wickedness that he died for. He took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Yet, Matthew, you understand, applies that to physical illness. Jesus, Jesus he says, fulfilled this by healing their diseases. Every disease he healed, and that's a fulfillment of Isaiah, who said he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. 
And yet you want to say, oh God, I, you know, I don't really need you to touch my body. I, I, I'll suffer in the body, but please heal my sin. And you say you're trusting God because you're looking to him for your sin. And you don't want to, you don't want to be presumptuous by turning to God for your body and saying, God, I want you to deal with my body. And they say, no, no. We know that the, certain people in certain churches turn to God for the healing of their bodies, but we don't do that. We, we live in a higher sphere than that. God is above our bodies, right? <laughs> and what we find is that the very principle of faith is undermined, torn apart by our refusal to understand that God does heal our diseases. There's not a disease that struck a man or a woman in all of history that was not healed by God if it was, if it were, if it was healed. Not one. In other words, if God had not in Christ been looking to a healing of the human race that includes body and soul, because God heals our bodies eventually one day by raising them from the dead. It's not just our souls he's interested in. If God had not foreseen that day and if Christ had not been, had not been sacrificed from the foundations of the world, if it had not been understood that Jesus would one day die for these creations, even before they were created, then death would really have prevailed from the moment of sin on. There would have been no relief from death. Death would have been instantaneous and it would have been a wipeout. But because God in his mercy had provided a way out in his patience had given a way of escape in the death of his son and that was even known then, man didn't die. And so the reality is every disease is fatal except for God forestalling it. All of life would be death. God is concerned about your body, and I want to say to you, so you don't go to God for little things like your body, you don't go to him for little things, and I say to you, you know, the people who I know who have strong faith are the people who go to God and they ask him about everything and then they trust him. I really love those who go to God with everything. Those are the people I learn from. They go to him for every need, they go to him and they're happy because they always find God answering their prayers. Have you found that certain people go to God for everything and are always happy with what God does? They've learned this lesson. He heals all our diseases. He carries away our diseases and took our infirmities. What a great God we have. That he is concerned not only for our spiritual reality and our sin, but he cares for our body day after day after day. This is God. Fourth event in these two verses is two men who ask Jesus if they can follow him. First described, then a second man, and he responds by challenging their faith. He tells the first of the cost of following him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, he says to him, you're going to go without if you come with me. And the man, apparently, from what we, the evidence we have, does not follow him. The second man asks to bury his father, and Jesus' response may seem cruel, but it's not. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. The point of these challenges is to demonstrate to them that they must have faith in him if they're going to follow him. They must have faith, and faith understands that when you follow Jesus, there will be many streets you go down that you think are scary. There will be jungle scenes in life that you will find intimidating. There will be things you pass through that you go, whoa, me, I don't like this. 
and God is with you all the way, with all his power. That's faith. And these men, we don't know about the second. It seems pretty clear that the first is not willing to have faith. He wants to follow Jesus. But he's not willing to go wherever Jesus leads. Are you willing to go wherever Jesus leads you? Do you believe that God is good and that whatever he has called you to do, wherever he's placed you, whatever road you've gone down and it's been filled with tears or sorrows or pain, that that is God's goodness, that God is there? Final story is the disciples in the boat. It's a bad story, a story of failure. It's ironic. The centurion slave owner possesses great faith, and the disciples here don't have it. The winds come, the rains blow, and the disciples are afraid. They cry out to Jesus, save us, Lord. We are perishing. We are perishing. We are are at the mercy of the wind and the waves. We are dying here, Lord. You ever felt like saying that? Help me, God, I'm perishing. Can't take anymore. You have these little refrains that go through your head when things are hard, don't you? You say, oh, man, life stinks. You say it over and over to yourself. I can't stand this. I can't stand this. It's the way of faithless men. Hey, God, don't you see the wind and the waves? Funny. They expect Jesus to save them, Right? Why else do they call him? It's right there. It says, save us, Lord. They think Jesus will save them, right? They don't question his power, do they? There's no reason to wake them up and say, save us, if they don't think that Jesus will save them. What's the issue? Why does Jesus say, oh, you of little faith? The answer is, they have not yet come to believe what the centurion does, that God is good. And that he is watching out for them. And so they give way to fear. Let me tell you, dear brothers and sisters and friends, when you give way to fear, you're following the pattern of the Israelites in the Old Testament. When they left throughout the Old Testament, but some Psalms spell it out so beautifully, Psalm 105. When they left Egypt and the going got rough, And they entered the wilderness, and they didn't see the water they thought they should have. They feared. And when they began to fear, what did they do? They complained, right? And in their complaining, they became rebels. And they turned to gods of gold and silver rather than the God who had brought them out. And in their rebellion, they left God and faith altogether. Fear is toxic. Fear says to God, God, you're not good. In this day with COVID and the events in our nation, if you give in to fear, you are saying to God, God, I don't trust you, and you're on the way to rebellion. I want to say to you, there are fear mongers in the world, and they're constantly fear mongering, and you need to tell them to shut up and get out of your life. Whether that's a person, more likely it's a TV channel or a news site. I'm telling you, 
God is good. Fox News is telling you everything stinks and we're dying. Who are you going to listen to? Where do you put your attention? This is, this is the lesson, folks. This is what God is saying to us. Stop fearing. He's good. It turns out well in the end. There's nothing bad going to happen to you. Stop fearing. God is good. God has it in hand, and God loves you. And if you've never come to know this yourself, today's a great day to say, God, I want to know your goodness. I'm going to trust you and stop fearing. I'm going to look to you. Maybe you're sick. So go to him like these people did and say, look, help me. And he says, I'm willing. Not willing just to cleanse your leprosy or to heal your leprosy. I'm willing to cleanse you. Go to him. Ask him. See what he does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening, this morning, and these who are here and the joy of preaching to them. Father, I, I thank you for having given me the privilege of being the pastor here, the privilege of preaching to this flock. For the life that you've given me, it's, Father, it was inconceivable to me that it could be this rich. And so I ask, Father, that you'll cause all of us to know this how good you are. Help us to trust this. Help us to, to experience this. Give us faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.